to nurture, how to cultivate, how to nourish this proneness for high achieving behaviors gives them so much more room to adjust their behavior and to modify some of the actions and ways in which they get things done. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Well, hello there. Welcome back to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am so excited to have you here this week. It's been a pretty exciting week. I have been doing a number of free online trainings where I've been doing some yoga myth busting in terms of how individuals can really utilize the therapeutic power, the healing power of yoga in a way that is psychologically informed. So using yoga as an experiential playground, a place where you can practice psychological skills that lead you to a life that feels aligned, that feels vital, where you thrive. And alongside that, the doors are currently open for my Yoga Brain 101 program, which is an eight-module psychoeducational course that is coupled with mindfulness and yoga practices. And if you are interested in the therapeutic benefits of psychoeducational skills for both surviving and for thriving, and you are interested in mindful movement, come and learn more about it. Head to drcaitlin.com backslash yoga brain, and I'll explain a bit more about what is involved there. It is a no strings attached 30 day guarantee. So if you are interested and you'd like to just dive in and see what's happening there, know that if it doesn't feel aligned to your purpose, there is an opportunity to you know, just send an email and access that 30 day guarantee. But I very much hope that if, if it's feeling aligned for you right now, that this course will serve you on your journey to a purposeful life. Now to further support you, if in your journey to a purposeful life, you find yourself beautifully blessed and challenged with perfectionistic and high achieving behaviors, you are going to love today's episode. I am interviewing Dr. Patricia Zarita Ona, affectionately known as Dr. Z. Now, Dr. Z is actually the author of a new book, Acceptance and Commitment Skills for Perfectionism and High Achieving Behaviors. And two lucky Yoga Brain 101 enrollees are going to be given a copy of this book. So if you are interested in Yoga Brain 101 and you'd like to register while the doors are open, they're closing at the end of January, you can go into the running for the book. There's nothing extra you need to do. I'm going to simply pull and do a random draw from the enrollees. Now, a little bit more about Dr. Z. Dr. Z is on a mission to get people unstuck from ineffective playing it safe moves so that they can start living a rich, purposeful, and meaningful life. She's a psychologist by training and has authored six books and co-authored two others. She's also conducted over 140 workshops 
workshops at the Nash at national and international conferences. She runs a boutique private practice and absolutely loves to create resources for every client she works with. She is a passionate behaviorist and I think what you'll find is that the way she describes and explains skills is not boring. You know, she she really lives by this motto, this passion to ensure that she supports individuals in a compassionate, caring, and approachable way. But without further ado, let's dive into the conversation now and figure out how you can do things your way, be yourself, and live a purposeful life with your high achieving behaviors. Here's Dr. Z. Patricia, welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am so delighted to have you joining me here today. We were both talking about we're at different times of the day in different locations and how amazing that we get to sit down together this way. (laughs) Hello, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so appreciative of this space and having a chance to chat with you. So Patricia, thank you, you know, again, for coming on. We're we're going to be talking about perfectionism today, and you have a really unique way of working and supporting with individuals who have, you know, struggles showing up in their lives. But before we dive into all of that, would you mind just introducing listeners to yourself and to the work that you do in case they haven't come across, you know, your work before? Of course, of course. Um, Well, I have this very long Latino name. My full name is Patricia Esperanza Zurita Oña, but it's super long. That's why I go by Dr. Z. It's short and quick, right? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I am originally from Bolivia, South America, and I came to the States, I think, in 2001. Um, I have a doctoral degree in clinical psychology, and all my training is focusing delivering therapy and coaching services for any person struggling with fear-based struggles like perfectionist, procrastination, OCD, social anxiety, performance anxiety, you name it. I am passionate about collaborating and working with people that get stuck because of any fear-based reaction they're dealing with. And that's what I do in my private practice. I have a very Um, a boutique private practice in which I work with children, teens, and adults dealing with all forms of fear-based reactions. Um, I have written a couple of things. I am very passionate about the application of acceptance and commitment training, in particular for fear-based struggles, um, mainly because I think fear is one of those emotions that can completely shape our world in a way that it doesn't help us to be who we want to be. Um, I know you're very familiar and you practice also acceptance and commitment training, so I'm not going to go into saying what's that too much. <laughs> no, but it's, it's something listeners, if they've been listening for a while, will definitely have a bit of a handle on. But I think that this is really important, you know, to understand the unique application in different situations for listeners broadly and for any new listeners joining us this week. Um, it's worth knowing about acceptance and commitment training because it is, you know, we're saying training now, it can also be called acceptance and commitment therapy when we use it more therapeutically. But the fact that we're even saying training highlights the broad act, like applicability of the skills, you know, they don't just help us survive, they help us really thrive in our lives. That's true. I think um, in, I was introduced to ACT in my in graduate school, I think 2003 or 2004. And 
to me, applying these skills in my day-to-day -day life, when I'm getting scared, when I'm getting anxious, when I am afraid of making poor decisions, of driving an extra humongous truck, when I'm having hyperventilation, it has been incredibly helpful and impactful. So I have seen that how active skills in my personal life and in the work I do have completely um, make a shift in how I approach life and how my clients live their lives. Yeah, it's um, it's an amazing intervention and support and framework, and it's actually what I use with I integrate yoga and act in in an online course, and yet yeah, and they they marry so well together, and I think that this is important for us to be discussing because psychological flexibility skills, you know, like flexibility skills on the mat that I think marry well, this is going to come into our conversation today, isn't it? Because I think flexibility is going to show up when we start to talk about perfectionism. So what, what drew you to your work in supporting individuals to navigate perfectionism? You mentioned fear-based challenges. How does perfectionism mm -hmm. link with fear? Mm -hmm. So here's that honest story. In my work as a full-time psychologist, I got stuck in the room in my work with clients. Um, there was one week I will never forget in which I had um, four particular sessions with people that are prone to high achieving and perfectionistic behaviors in which I made this comment about how would it look like to, to go to sleep at a regular time so you can wake up tomorrow and pick it up where you left your work. And I remember my, my client looking at me, making this scary face and saying, Dr. Z, are you asking me to be lazy? Are you asking me to do mediocre things? Um, there was the same week, there is another conversation I'm having with one of my coaching clients. And I make a suggestion about how it's possible that we're holding onto this idea of doing things right and perfect like this. And that sometimes in life, it's helpful to distinguish when doing things good enough is effective. And my client, again, look at me, open the eyes, I see the eyebrows lifting and says, Dr. Z, what have you drink today? Uh, and they start teasing me. And the reality is that week, I finished that week really pondering and thinking about those conversations. What was happening in the room? What was happening with my clients that had this strong attachment to doing things right and perfect, to overwork, to go beyond their own limits, to go beyond what's humanly possible to get certain outcome. And it was hard to navigate those conversations. So it was because of that stuckness that I really step back and see how can I work with these struggles? How can I work with these fear-based responses? How can I work with this strong attachment to how things supposed to be? How I supposed to respond to this particular situation? And what I realized, and this is very consistent with our research, is that no matter how much we can tell a person or oh, let go of your standards, don't pay attention to details, just make a decision, everything is going to be okay. What we have is that internally people experience the distress, the distress of not knowing how to let things go, how to let go of their own standards, how to let go of the fear of being a failure. So in my work, I realized that unless we make room for that degree of distress that comes with the possibility of letting things go, we are not moving forward. And when we think of perfectionists, um, 
there are different approaches and different ways to think about it. As you're familiar, most, most people will distinguish what is uh, healthy perfectionist and unhealthy perfectionist. Sometimes people talk about productive perfectionist and unproductive perfectionist. My take, and this is my biased opinion, is that instead of looking at high achieving behaviors or perfectionists in a dichotomous way, like this is this is either this or that, healthy and healthy, harmful and helpful. The reality is that some people, when they deeply care about things, of course they are prone to do things right and perfect. Who wouldn't in the right mind? When you deeply care about things, of course you want to make the right decisions. Of course you want to make sure that your actions reflect your intentions. So I have found that talking about and teaching my clients how to nurture, how to cultivate, how to nourish this proneness for high achieving behaviors gives them so much more room to adjust their behavior and to modify some of the actions and ways in which they get things done which is very different than telling them, don't pay attention to details, just let it go, right? So I think my work is really about acknowledging and making room that they are prone to do things with certain standards, not because something is wrong with them, but because they deeply care. It matters so deeply to them that of course they want to engage and do something with a lot of precision. But mm -hmm. our task is to take a look to how it works, when it works, and how we can have the same standards without losing ourselves in the process. Yeah, yeah. So having these standards, but not losing ourselves in that, you know, you mentioned that you want to know what you care about, that you want to know how to nurture yourself. So getting clear on these things that also matter and what one's needs are, like what one's nurturant needs are, what one, you know, cares about in different domains of life is going to be really important so that, you know, the, the flashlight doesn't get totally focused or we get laser focused on one thing that might leave us sacrificing in other domains is that is that um what you're what you're suggesting yeah yeah thank you so much for adding that I think one of the things I encounter is that when a person is prone to high achieving behaviors I think in general they are very clear of their values they know what matters I think what happens is that they are holding onto the values with white knuckles and we're looking at one behavior as the only way of living that value so they are doing exactly what you mentioned. They have this laser focus with one particular value, and they are thinking that that's, there's only one action, which is getting things right, right? Or doing things with precision, the only way to live their values. So a lot of the work is, it's not too much doing um, values clarification, in my opinion, sometimes that's needed. But the thing it's more about looking at the workability of how if I, have laser focus with this, um, with my career, I may not be considering my relationships. Or if I am overly focusing my relationship with my boyfriend, I am not paying attention to that relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really about looking at how we're relating to our values. Are we holding them like this with white knuckles? while we flexibly dancing among different areas of our life? 
Yeah, this is really interesting, isn't it? So there is an awareness of values, but it almost becomes like a hyper-focus in one domain that may not allow us to consider the workability in all domains and maybe the concept of good enoughing in um in a certain yeah. domain. So how how do you support people through this? Where where do we do, you know, in the room when this shows up? And you know, I know you also have a book coming out that we'll be discussing this, but you know, where where would you start working if you're sitting here kind of listening, going, oh, is this me? You know, I I hyper focus in X, Y, and Z area, or you know, I notice that, you know, I have this real tendency to overwork or, you know, um, really self-sacrifice in a relationship, what, what do I do? Where do I get started? Mm-hmm. That, that's a great question. As I will say, it's a very juicy question because there are so many ways, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think for me, sometimes the conversation starts by asking my clients and I ask myself the same question, who are we without the doing? Who are we without doing all those um, behaviors that are driven by trying to get things right, that are driven by this fear of making mistakes, that are driven by this fear of being a failure. And I think what happens as the conversation unfolds is that we may see that all these behaviors, um, making sure that my apartment is perfectly clean when someone is coming to visit me, making sure that my kids look impeccable if we're going for a gathering, making sure Mm -hmm. that the paper I'm writing doesn't have any typos. All those behaviors are driven by two things. One, a value. I deeply care about what I'm working on, what I am participating in, but they're also driven by a fear of making mistakes or the fear of being a failure. So in a nutshell, asking ourselves the question, who am I without doing all those things may unpack a lot what's really driving, which is fear, fear of being criticized, fear of not being good enough. So that will be one way to unpack a little bit and start a conversation of really understanding more what drives these overworking behaviors and this relentless need to get things right. So fear, and then this all kind of comes back full circle, doesn't it? So there's a fear underlying this. Where does this fear develop? How, you know, are people uniquely susceptible to to this fear of making mistakes? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So much has been written about why some people are more prone to, to fear than others. And in the literature, there is this process that it's called anxiety sensitivity, which basically speaks to our physiological predisposition, our temperament to sometimes be more on edge a little bit, right? Um, in the case of perfectionists, there is, I think, different theories about what makes a person to be prone to high achieving behaviors. Um, I think the literature doesn't have one single cause, right? Sometimes we have grown up in environments in which people, um, try to manage the environment and manage stress by getting things right and perfect. Um, sometimes what we have, some people, since they are children, they are really prone to pay attention to details and to get things right. Um, I won't ever forget, years ago, I was working in a school setting as part of my training, and I got referred a case of, a, I think, eight-year-old year, yeah, eight year child that was you know, crying, crying, crying for hours and people couldn't figure out what was going on with him. Uh, He comes to my office, a very sweet kid, 
and turns out that he made a mistake in a math test. Uh, from these 10 questions, he missed one of them. And he was, I'm telling you that he, I can totally see his pain and his distress about that mistake he made. When I learned more about this kid, it turns out it wasn't the first time. Actually, in other, uh, when he was turning on papers or when he was doing some handwriting, if there was one single thing that was wrong, he really experienced a lot of distress. So I think sometimes some people are prone to experience things in a deeper level. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that as we know, um, all of us, since very early, were developing some idea of who we are in the world based on what we do. And sometimes for some people, they develop that identity that something is wrong with them because of some of these mistakes, because of their performance, right? And what we have is adults, we have, as adults, we have this strong attachment um, that is defined by the things we do. Uh, which within acceptance and commitment training or therapy, we try to step back and look at what's the workability of holding onto those beliefs. Yeah, it's a really interesting point that we do get caught by who we are and who we've, you know, been sort of trained um, in some ways coaxed into experiencing ourselves as in addition to values, I think can hold us really clearly in alignment with what we value. But, you know, when you talk about the eight-year-old kid, I've worked with so many clients who mm. were so rewarded for their academic abilities in childhood yeah. that, you know, it was this sense that their identity was really fused yeah. with performing perfectly. And if that's what they've been rewarded for, that's where they've received positive praise. Then there's this sense, if I don't do that, I won't be okay. Mm -hmm. Or people won't appreciate me or mom and dad be proud you know our languaging that we use with kids can also be really impactful candidates so there's this little you know little um caitlin you know dr z little patricia like living inside going oh well i i should do the things that i was told i'm good at or that i am yeah yeah i think that's the other aspect that you're right i think these behaviors uh, high achieving behaviors get socially reinforced really quickly we get appreciated, we get praised, and then people internalize this other belief that hard work pays off, that every single minute I'm super working extra hard is going to pay back, right? Mm -hmm. um, the challenge is that once again, holding rigidly, rigidly into that belief doesn't help a person to experience life in a, in a rich way in other areas of their life, right? Yeah. I think reinforces the laser focus you were referring at the beginning of the conversation. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting point, isn't it? That um, that there's the reinforcement that happens. And and you mentioned too, you, you yeah. alluded to that in ACT, yeah. you know, we kind of deal with this other sense of self, sort of stepping back into what we might call the witnessing self or the observing self, um, which is something, you know, and that's where I think like a yoga mat is so um, fantastic mm. or meditation practice, but there are, you know, perspective taking exercises we can do too. How, how do you support clients to maybe tap into a different sense of self in regards to their perfectionistic um, journey. If it's something that's interfering in their life, how do you how do you support them through? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, what I found, as I was saying at the beginning, is to really one um, understand more or help my clients to understand more what's driving these high achieving behaviors by really having conversations along the lines of who are we without the doing mm -hmm. and what's really behind trying to make the perfect decision, making sure I'm always on time, making sure I check off all the items, my to-do list. Um, 
And then from that, really um, helping them or guiding them to, to step back and see what is next to this fear of being a failure or this fear of not being good enough. And how we can become the container of those experiences and learn to hold all those thoughts, all those feelings without being defined by them. Um, I think questions about how, how we can relate to that, um, a scary part of us can be helpful or what will my best friend tell me right now if they hear how I'm looking at myself, how I'm talking to myself. Those are, I think, pretty um, helpful questions and ways of exploring, right? Who we are um, if we are not defined by our thoughts. Now, I am a yoga practice. Um, I don't practice, I don't teach yoga, but I'm a yoga lover. I haven't practiced in like- Doesn't um, surprise me. I <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to hear how you will do it. Um, I have tried Vipassana yoga, Hatha yoga, and these days I'm doing the Bikram yoga, you know, like in the hot room. It's a and great pointed to... focus, isn't it? <laughs> oh my gosh. For me, I have to say that um, as you were saying at the beginning, and I think having some mindful practice, but also some yoga practices really help us to step back from our mind. There is so much noise coming into our head 24 hours, seven days a week. And I think yoga really helps us to ground ourselves and get attuned with our body. Um, I know I would love to hear from you how you will help people to develop a perspective taken from a, yo yeah, from a yoga perspective. Yeah, well, I, I suppose, you know, you kind of alluded to it there, you know, that there's an opportunity to get into our bodies and it is, it's a mindful movement practice. So all of the mindfulness skills that come up so much in ACT, which you'd be so familiar with, you know, this ability to, to connect into the present moment, which is ultimately the skill we're working on, can be done in a seated practice, an informal mindfulness practice, or in a movement practice like yoga. And I think that can be helpful for people whose minds are prone to busyness because the physical yeah. movement gives us another place to anchor in. And there's a sense of noticing sensation, rising, falling, shifting in your physical body, which is another opportunity to observe and to notice, you know, am I that sensation that suddenly shifted from that mm -hmm. stretching sensation to the, you know, strength sensation, the shaking muscles, similarly to noticing our thoughts. So I think it's a really nice experiential playground, you know, taking the the skills, the practices that we would use in the therapy room and applying them on the mat in this contained area where we almost bring like this element of sacredness that I think sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, can, um, can be bypassed in a really busy life in a really busy society that suddenly there's like this period of being on the mat, where else are you going to go for this dedicated time period? Yeah. And then as you get into a state of present moment awareness, you know, you, I think more easily tap into this observing self. So what we were talking about is this sense of self beyond our doing, you know, beyond the yeah. I, you know, here nowness, and kind of getting a, a broader perspective as to, as to who we are, that we might be this container holding things, which I know maybe for some listeners is sounding a little bit esoteric and wacky, but it can be done <laughs> in a really secular way. And there's so much evidence behind, you know, the process of tapping into this sense of self and our, our well-being, which 
I think probably links back really closely with perfectionism, because if we can tap into this broader sense of self, you know, who am I without Mm -hmm. these high achieving, these perfectionistic behaviors, if we can tap back into that sense of ourself, I think there's a lot more room for flexibility as to how we then engage to some of the urges and the thoughts that might tell us we have to do something better or we can't go to bed or you know we have to work till 8 10 p.m um, we can kind of hold those thoughts i think a little bit more lightly when we're not so defined by them when our ego isn't so connected mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if i can share a little bit one experience i had with yoga and that's why i have been practicing it for years uh, in a more secular way definitely not hardcore as you're doing it but um, the type of yoga I started practicing was hatha yoga low impact yoga and they have some balancing positions right there's some balancing postures and here is what I learned with yoga um, which is related to what you are referring that it does help us to bring ourselves back into the present is that when you're practicing yoga, if you pay attention to your posture, if you pay attention to how you're positioning your leg, your arm, that helps you with your balance. And you will notice that and you will sense that in your body. When you are going along with your thoughts and you're going along with this wandering mind that we have, you're going to fall down. You may actually injure yourself, right? So I think there is something extremely powerful with yoga that you learn to be attuned with your body and you know this, how it is to be pressing in the moment, focusing with that particular posture, that particular position, which I think it's really hard and feels very counterintuitive when we are prone to having busy minds, uh, when we always have a lot of things to do and when there is a lot of messages about how we're supposed to be wonderful and perfect in life. <laughs> Yeah, it's such an interesting point. It's really hard to plan um, to plan your dinner or rewrite that email in your head when you're balancing on one leg, isn't it? So That's it's right. like this very <laughs> way of, of coming back in. You know, so it's that interesting you mentioned um, that with perfectionism that there, you know, there's a flexibility component in the sense that for some people it's workable at certain points in time, you know, that historically maybe there's been more of a divide between healthy perfectionism and unhealthy perfectionism. And you're more of, um, a fan or, you know, you understand that sort of a spectrum approach works a little bit better, that there's a consideration of workability. How does someone know or kind of when they're working with you how do you support them to understand whether their behaviors right now are workable or whether there's room for shifts because I imagine you know if we look at our behaviors from one perspective you know if someone's excelling in the workplace in that sense it's going to be workable and you know they're clear on their values there would you mm-hmm. would you maybe talk us through how we kind of broaden our our look or when we kind of start interventions or start making shifts yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's a very rich question or a juicy question, as I would say in Spanish. <laughs> <Juicy>. <laughs> it's a very juicy question. Delicious. Um, <laughs> so I don't think I don't have the truth with capital T, right? I know for me, holding into this frame of nurturing and harnessing the power of perfectionists has been very helpful in my work with clients. Because I know deeply for what they have shared that they have listened in so many messages about letting go of standards and 
dropping things and doing things that for them perceives mediocre against who they are and how much they struggle with those messages and how much they felt unseen and misunderstood by others. Um, and they actually, some of them, they experience so much more shame, right? Um, because the message, again, has been just dichotomized, has polarized, good or bad. Um, which I think it's tricky for some people to navigate. So for me, and again, I don't have that, the truth with capital T, it has what really to harness the power of those high achieving behaviors without losing ourselves in the process. Now, how do we help people to distinguish what's workable and what's not? So here's another biased opinion. I think we have listening and we listen frequently a lot of the messages about work-life balance. Right, like it's a message that we're fully, fully exposed to like 24 hours, seven days a week. Uh, the challenge with that, that, that is actually, you know, um, that's not consistent with how people live their lives. It's humanly impossible to have this perfect world like balance. The, the way that I like to think about this is helping my clients to find their own rhythm, to find their own seasonal rhythm in what works for them. Which basically means that if you think about this, living a values-based life, um, if my value is disseminating acceptance and commitment skills for fear-based struggles, that means that sometimes I may have to write consecutively every single day for three, four months, and then I may pause and I may focus on something else that is not related to my career. But every time we say yes to our values, we're also disconnecting from something else. And that's painful and that is hard. So asking people to have this perfect work-life balance, I don't think is consistent with the, all the things that we have to say no in our life, but helping people to make choices that are consistent with where they are at a certain time in their lives as something they are willing to face, knowing that they have to disconnect from other areas of their life temporarily, I think it's more it's more helpful to them. So when I talk about workability with my clients that are prone to high achieving behaviors, I always clarify that I won't be saying the cliche thing of finding life work balance, uh, because I know in my heart that's not consistent with how they want to live their life. But I'm asking them, can we take a look What's the rhythm we can develop based on where you are and what's important right now, what's in front of you, right? And reality is that in life, sometimes we do prioritize. Sometimes we focus more on parenting. Sometimes we focus more on that romantic relationships. Sometimes I say for the next six months, I really want to focus on my spiritual life. Uh, but I think creating this, again, seasonal rhythm to check how are my high achieving behaviors working in this area? knowing and being accountable and a knowledge that they may not be working in other area allows me to step back and then choose which other area I'm going to focus on. So I think it's a less, um, I think it's a more compassionate and realistic approach also. If we help people to make choices based on what is in front of them, which is never going to be perfect. It's never going to be ideal there is always going to be a backlash. So I think when people have the permission to live an imperfect life and they still hold to their standards, when they are not listening to the message, let go, stop paying attention to details, right? They actually have so much more capacity to choose and to re-engage 
and to go back to other areas of their life that they know they were disconnecting from. So that will be in a nutshell. So I don't think it's ever going to be perfect, but giving permission to people to choose where they want to pay attention because it matters, harness, cultivate those perfectionistic actions, while acknowledging that when I say yes to my career, I maybe say no to my relationship. But in two months, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to take my partner for a vacation. I am going to take the kids every single Sunday to soccer, right? So I think that helps people to be more flexible in how they are relating to themselves and to this proneness for high achieving behaviors. Thank you so much for, you know, clarifying that. And I think giving this permission to be human and to be experiencing seasons and rhythms, because you're right, there is so much conversation around this, you know, elusive work-life balance. And as you just kind of highlighted, it almost like pushes us into more of a perfectionistic um, frame or achievement when we're searching for this perfect balance, that if we accept that balance is this constant ebb and flow and that there's movement in that, that is incredibly freeing. And I think really empowering to people who do have seasons where a project comes up, you know, maybe um, a child needs more, a partner needs more, work project needs more, soul needs more, whatever it is that we can honor that Mm -hmm. and know that we will rebalance, that things will shift, ebb and flow, that things are a season, they're not a forever. Mm -hmm. To me, it has been, again, very helpful in the work with my clients and in my own life. Um, Many times I know I am also prone to high achieving behaviors. And I have felt so unseen or misunderstood when sometimes people told me, Oh, Patricia, don't you sleep? You have, you know, you're reading all these books, right? Don't you take a nap? Don't you fall asleep? Or people tell me you should just stop writing. It hurts me so deeply. It hurts me so deeply because it's really not seeing my deepest value. It's not really looking into my heart and what speaks to me. And I relate a lot to the experience that my clients go through. And that makes sense. I don't think people have bad intentions. It just happens that humans and the literature sometimes of course we dichotomize things as good and bad Uh, the challenge is that all of us we may have more a continual responses and i think proneness to high achieving behaviors comes with that and helping ourselves and helping clients to honor that and accept that that's how it is give us so much more freedom it's much more liberating to choose how we really want to relate. Um, So to me, I think, again, that's how you can build psychological flexibility when when having proneness for perfectionists. Um, Notice also here a popular message, if I can clarify a little bit, is that people think that if a person has um, high achieving behaviors, you you should ask them to do imperfect things. Like you should tell them, send an email with five typos, or don't worry if the book is not complete. Best wishes, good luck with those messages, because I can tell you that in my world with my clients, it always backfires. That's when you will hear comments. Are you asking me to be lazy? Are you asking me to do mediocre work, right? Um, my approach is not too much about doing things wrong or imperfect. It's about giving yourself permission to be imperfect in how you're living your life. You can still do things with a lot of caring and perhaps shoot for precision. Um, because a situation activity requires that. Imagine a 
surgeon who needs to perform a surgery in a child. Don't we want the surgeon to actually be, you know, to be very precise when performing the surgery or to be careful with details, right? How can we ask the surgeon, oh, you know, just drop, drop your standards. It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sure. sense. Or what if I felt right? Or what if I felt the electrician to stop being perfectionist, to stop checking and rechecking that all the wires are correct? It doesn't make sense, right? Um, so I think what I invite people is the permission to do things right when it matters and accept that when they are saying yes to checking and rechecking behaviors, they're also saying no to other areas of their life. It's not wrong. It's not something to be judged or to be ashamed. But let's radically accept that we can hold that experience. And then when do I go back to the, those areas that I am not paying attention to? So I think that is something very different because I know it's a misconception that we should tell people to, to make mistakes so they can, you know, they can learn how to tolerate um, discomfort. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> and, I, and I can tell you, I, it doesn't work for my clients. <laughs> yeah. It didn't work for me, absolutely. Right. <laughs> this is really interesting. It's a, it's a really nice framework in that, you know, in kind of saying yes to something, we're saying no to something else. And if we have that awareness of how everything's balanced and working together and, you know, the fact that are finite, our hours in the days are finite, our energy is finite. If we're kind of putting a lot of energy in here, that's fine as long as it's done consciously and with awareness that we might be saying no to something else and knowing that the seasons may change in future and that, you know, we've got this, this gift of choice, like how, how empowering. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's the magical aspect, the awareness, giving ourselves permission to really look what's happening. Uh, and I think once we have that place, from that place, we can make choices in our life. Yeah. We can make choices of when do we pursue these perfectionistic behaviors, when we let them go, when I am choosing to sit with the discomfort of not getting things right and perfect. Uh, it gives me more flexibility when I can say, okay, this is good enough in this area, but in this other area, no, I want to hold on to my standards, right? Um, and that's why for me, the whole frame of harnessing the power of perfection is, is really, it's really about inviting people to do things according to their standards, to do things their way without losing themselves and still living with meaning. That's a beautiful note to, to finish on, you know, to live this life with meaning, to do things to your standards with meaning. Dr. Z, how do listeners get in contact with you? Would you mind sharing with us where, where you can be found? Oh, thank you so much. Um, I have a newsletter. My newsletter is called Playing It Safe. And on a weekly basis, I am sharing different resources to tackle different aspects of living with fear. Um, which is something that we all go through every single day of our lives, right? Um, and then I spend time on Twitter. My handle is Dr. Z Behaviorist, of course. <laughs> We're passionate behaviorists. Um, those will be the two places for people to find me. 
Beautiful. So heading to, uh, you know, sign up for your um, newsletter and getting on this playing it safe, you know, weekly newsletter, getting weekly tips to the inbox, heading to Twitter. I will put the links to both of these in the show notes as well, listeners. So if, um, if you're cruising around right now and, and it's hard to, hard to make a note, please don't multitask. That's right. We'll, um, we'll That's have it right. sitting there. Uh, Dr. Z, Patricia, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today. I so appreciate it. And I really, you know, really appreciate you and this amazing lens that you bring to perfectionism, this real understanding and empathy and, you know, honoring of the, the beautiful, you know, in a way, wisdom and skills that perfectionism offers in doing something to a standard and living in integrity, but also like cultivating the flexibility where we might find that it's not as workable in our lives. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for for the opportunity to chat with you and for all those wonderful questions. Um, It was a treat. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Z as much as I did. I love that in this episode, we really talk about holding, you know, high achieving behaviors in a positive lens because they can so much serve us, but also having that clarity about where we want to go in our lives and how we balance when we seem to be moving away from purposeful living. If yoga and psychological skills that lead you to survive and thrive based on modern acceptance and mindfulness practices feels aligned with you, feels like it might support you in your journey to purposeful living, I would love to invite you to join Yoga Brain 101. I'm accepting enrollees until the end of January. It's 2022 right now if you're listening to this in the future, but who knows when you might be listening it into the future, the doors may be open again. Head to Dr caitlin.com backslash yoga brain to get all of the details feel free to ask me any questions there are some common q a's on that website itself so drcaitlin.com backslash yoga brain and two lucky enrollees are going to win a copy of dr z's new book acceptance and commitment skills for perfectionism and high achieving behaviors do things your way be yourself and live a purposeful life you don't have to do anything extra to go into the running for that book simply enroll in yoga brain 101 if it feels aligned for you and there'll be a lucky dip a random draw two enrollees will win a copy of dr z's new book Without further ado, I will let you dive back in to your week ahead and I will look forward to seeing you, to connecting with you in your earbuds next Wellbeing Wednesday. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.